0: Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is the Venture Brothers podcast. Uh, Sorry for the delay in this week's episode, but I had to literally run after members of the Senate and videotape them as they avoided talking to victims of sexual assault. And then I went to Comic-Con. How was your week, Stephen?
1: Uh, Well, I've just published a book. It's called People Must Live by Work. Uh, You can find it at Pen Press or on Amazon.com. And uh, I also went to a Modern Monetary Theory conference that uh, actually got quite a bit of publicity because uh, Stephanie Kelton is a big deal now.
0: Oh, wow. We're really nerdy, um, but that's good. (laughs) And we're also really dark wavy, thanks to my brother, David Levin, who just recorded a new theme song for us. Thank you, David. Okay. um, And I'll just throw out to our listeners, if anybody is looking for meaningful ways to help volunteer around the election and doesn't have ideas of what they can do near them. Drop me a line. I'm E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn, and I am full of suggestions. So this week's episode of the Venture Brothers is season seven, episode nine, called The Forecast Manufacturer. And it's interesting because I do think that one of the big themes for this episode is sort of a new one as a focus for our particular episode, which is really nature versus science. Um, and how uh, your characters within the show are sort of analyzing each of them and weighing what, what is a better priority and what is more in line with their goals at the time. And, and by nature, I'm including human nature, or sometimes it could be weather. Um, I also think it sort of is a metaphor for the question of controlling your feelings or you're controlling your emotions versus just living in your actual emotional state as it right. is. Right, Sort of reason versus emotion. Reason versus passion. Yeah. There's sort of a famous metaphor about the elephant and the rider, and the rider uh, tries to keep the elephant along the the track by using positive motivation. I think in this episode, perhaps, the elephant is a bear. Mm. Um, Another theme for this episode is
1: the uh, sort of continuing theme of institutional corruption. You know, here we have two ostensible rivals, the OSI and the Guild, Cooperating against an outside force that's trying to sort of break into their market, um, but you also see corruption going on with uh, Mission Creep uh, vis-a-vis his superiors, uh, both in his time in the OSI and in the Peril Partnership. And then mm-hmm. finally, we have the Monarch sort of accidental climb through the ranks, uh, which has really been an ongoing story, uh, sorry theme, you know, for the last two seasons at least.
0: Yeah, it actually made me think of a question, which was, uh, when did the show start caring about ranks?
1: Like, um, that's a good question. I mean, there was the whole thing about uh, the gated compound uh, in, of supervillains in season three.
0: Yeah, the town called Malice.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it comes up. I, I think out of sort of as an outgrowth of like wanting to shake things up by having other supervillains arch uh, Dr. Venture instead of the monarch and then Mm -hmm. giving him a motivation to like get back to that position. Um, So the episode starts, we see New York City in snow. Uh, We see sort of, you know, a shot, uh, aerial shot of lower Manhattan. Uh, We see that same bridge in Central Park. Uh, We see the corner of Christopher Street and something, which (laughs) uh, I think we've seen before, but I don't remember. Um, We see Ventec Towers. And we learn that uh, New York City is under three feet of snow, so Rusty wants to use the opportunity to test a thermal regulation suppository. Uh,
0: remember when we had snow in winter? God, yeah, um, it's uh, it's a little bit scary out there these days.
1: Yeah. Um, so Billy unfortunately gets tasked with uh, taking the suppository, and we learn that uh, Rusty is a big fan of salt and pepper because um, he likes to push it real good Um, but you know my <laughs> big question is who puts two way video screens in a bathroom that's just you know, wrong you
0: know L, L, LBJ would have totally done that if they'd had the technology back then
1: sure that was kind of the way that he
0: liked to do politics
1: Um, so you know Billy goes along with it but what I like is that you know once again he's sort of standing up for scientific rigor uh, in the face of Rusty's sort of uh, slapdash pushing the envelope.
0: You know, this has been a really great season for Billy. He He's become really the most heroic of the adult characters on the show. Um, not just in terms of him standing up for science, but also in him standing up for other people and being concerned about the world at large. And and you know, those are always characteristics that he's had, but he's been more assertive about it. Um, I I really enjoyed... Him saying, that's not TMI, that is just the right amount of I, and, you know, TMI standing for too much information. Yeah, and uh,
1: also, Rusty really can't complain about too much information, given that he just, you know, watched Billy in the bathroom.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so they're interrupted by a mysterious uh, beeping sound. Is which, that really a secret theme of this whole season, mysterious beeping sounds? I mean, arguably that goes all the way back to the second episode of season one. Mm, um so taken. Uh, so they go into panic mode because by this point they've they've heard enough mysterious beeping sounds uh, and we see Hank and Rusty in the bunker with the hard hats on and uh, because they're in the bunker uh, Hank can't get reception to uh, talk to Serena Rusty suggests that he text, uh, sorry that he call her on a landline but Hank responds that you can't text on a landline which I feel is as good as any as a battle cry of the millennial <laughs> Um, so they refuse to, uh, Rusty rather refuses to evacuate the building. Uh, helper won't go into the helper. Their bomb disposal drone won't go into the, the closet from whence the beeping sound is coming. Uh, we see Brock refusing to wear a helmet as he's coming into the building.
0: This has just been a lot of pissing contests between Brock and Sergeant Vaitred and it'll like never end. A- and it was funny this episode, but I- I'm kind of ready for there to be something more to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that it is a very sort of old thread that they're pulling at. Um, so it turns out that the beeping noise is an old, like, 70s-era OSI military phone. Rusty knows it's for him, and we cut to credits.
0: No, 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 no. So Rusty takes the hotline, and of course he doesn't want to take the job, because he's rusty. Uh, Billy is excited about it. And I think that that's a pretty good description of the two characters' dynamic this season. I mean, Billy is just really gung-ho. He's trying to demonstrate his worth to his boss, so to speak. And he still definitely has a lot of that hero worship for them. The cartoon of his childhood left over.
1: Yeah, so uh, meanwhile, uh, Dr. Misses is getting pitched by the Monarch and Gary about the idea of using a strip mall dojo as a way to recruit henchmen. Uh, But it turns out that she's actually there to send Gary and the monarch on a secret mission for the guild.
0: I hope that little girl Madison returns to Arch Malcolm someday.
1: Yes, this is the little girl that um, Gary slaps in the face and then gets into an argument with the dojo owner. And is this the same dojo owner that you mentioned in the episode where they had the
0: Carvel ice cream cake? Probably. Guy with the Jewish last name? Oh, Tiger, Tiger Shulman. Yes. Yeah, you know what? That could totally be Tiger Shulman, Yes.
1: Okay, because I was thinking like the curly hair and the accent. Like yep. I was getting no, vibes from that.
0: Probably one of our people.
1: Um. So it turns out that the blizzard is,
0: uh, man made. Uh. It's actually uh, a weather machine. Which is such a f- funny, specific comic bookish trope. I, I definitely was thinking about the weather wizard, who's a Flash villain. Um. Also, all the times that the uh, religious zealots have accused, quote, the gaze of controlling the weather, quote.
1: Yeah. um, It's also like, you know, sort of classic Silver Age, like threaten a city for some nefarious purpose. Like, I mean, that a- was
0: like the, yeah, that was the Weather Wizards thing. Like, yeah. very Silver Age flash. Uh, So Hank refuses
1: to go on the mission because he's uh more concerned that Serena won't answer his text. Uh, but, you know, because it's Hank, rather than... You know, conclude that she's ghosting him. Uh, he, you know, thinks that she's been, you know, abducted by aliens or replaced by a clone, and
0: so on and so forth. I have never related to Hank more, except for other times that were also pretty recent. Uh, meanwhile, Billy desperately
1: wants to be on Team Venture, and like goes to the point of forcing the the two finger touching uh, with "I say good." Go Team Venture,
0: sir! And I have to wonder, like, is Doc's reluctance to go Team Venture with him because he doesn't want to show, like, his affection and friendship? Or is he just associating this whole Go Team Venture dynamic with his childhood in a way that he'd like to sort of bury in the past? I, I'm, I'm not really quite sure, like, why is Doc being like that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a mix of both because it's definitely, like, for him, Go Team Venture usually meant, you know... Something traumatic was about to happen to, to happen him. to him from his dad, and yeah. Um, so we then cut to Doctor Z's junk, uh, not that kind of junk. Uh, <laughs> and we find out that the peril partnership is in fact Canadian, and suggests that there is a certain lack of
0: transnational labor cooperation, eh? Well, you know, if the Peril Partnership is a more chaotic version of the Guild, then perhaps the Venture Brothers is actually in the Marvel 616 universe, in which Canada is the more evil version of America. Quite possible. Uh, So it turns out that there's a rogue faction of the Peril Partnership uh, who
1: are associated with uh, Blind Rage. They're the ones who've been causing difficulties, and OSI and the Guild have decided to cooperate to shut them down. Have we seen this level of cooperation before? Not really. Like, we had things with, like, the Treaty of Tolerance and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But, like, that's usually been a little bit more arm's distance, kind of Cold War-esque. And this is, like, really, you know, as I said at the beginning, it's like two competitors cooperating to, like, force a third competitor out of a a given market. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things I thought was interesting is that, like, the monarch likes the cut of this rogue faction's jib. um, That... You know he's, he likes the the like ultra violence and the like you know loud messy. He's not really into subtle villainy. He, you know. He likes to break into accounting offices
0: and steal, uh, toner paper and stuff like that. You know I I do think that's an interesting seed that it's sowing for the future. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we learned that the villain in question is called the creep, and that the reason why the guild particularly want to get him is that the weather machine, and this is tying the two threads of the episode together, uh, was stolen from the guild. Um, I am left with uh, two questions, one of which is, why the chicken tender statue? Is that a thing?
0: I don't know, but it's really a lot of chicken tenders, and I don't know how in God's name they're going to eat them all.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you can eat a good number of chicken nuggets, but a number of Like, if that's a solid head, then that's... Yeah, you're right. That's at least a hundred piece nuggets. Uh, And then Dr. Z gives a weird riddle, um, which leads to this whole sort of theme of him, like, talking around, uh, officially ordering an assassination.
0: Dr. Z is being super adorable, and I also think this episode is just really into butts, and they needed to make another butt joke.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Uh, Meanwhile... Uh, team venture takes off in their plane which is starting to look more and more like a
0: quinjet oh yeah the avengers quinjet
1: yeah um and then we get this extended thing which is like definitely a hammer and public conversation where it turns out that brock says the word spaghetti like a five-year-old
0: and they just won't let it go (laughs) <laughs> and they shouldn't, because it's hilarious. I, I have to feel like this is probably something that somebody they, they know has an issue with pronouncing. Possibly yeah. Doc himself, I'm not sure. Well, uh, you know, uh,
1: unfortunately I couldn't make it to the panel, but maybe next year we can get to the mic and ask them to pronounce spaghetti, <sighs> Good espresso, point. and I forget what the third one was.
0: Uh, Yeah. You know, I couldn't get into the panel either because I was speaking in uh, something at the same time as theirs. So, I also miss the days they used to actually do press junkets at New York Comic Con. That was really fabulous. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Hank tries to get out of Ventec
1: Tower in a snowsuit. He has left 43 messages and 60-odd texts, which is yikes. Um, And at least, you know, Sergeant Hatred can recognize obsession when he sees it and tries to give him uh good advice uh and this is where i was wondering like uh, is this starting to be a thing reference because of all the like you know snow suits and people wandering around in the middle of blizzards
0: i really think so and that's right around the time when i it might have even been earlier like when you get some of those really bizarre aerial shots of how empty the house looks I think it's sort of been playing around with the the movie the thing for a while, I, and definitely deliberately so, especially since this is the very action and suspense movie oriented season they've had also yeah. if somebody is a fan of the movie the thing uh, which i adore two things one the the thing episode of wrong real podcast which i've been a guest on wrong real a few times is an excellent episode i also recommend sam sam j miller's nebula award nominated short story things with beards which you can read for free on clark's world those are like two of my favorite things about the thing cool uh so meanwhile uh the
1: monarch and gary are getting into some uh really impressive looking snorkeling gear In order to pretend to defect to the uh, peril partnership. And there's another extended sequence of sort of non-denial denials about whether they're supposed to like kill the creep. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Hank, you know, out in the in the uh, in the blizzard is going a little bit snow crazy and ends up going headlong into a lamppost.
0: His playing in the snow right then is so childlike. It's almost like a non sequitur. I mean, I get that Hank is acting that young at many points in time still, but it felt like a leap to me to go from obsessing over his girlfriend, Serena, to being distracted by the desire to play in the snow. Um, And I totally get him having poor enough depth perception to, you know, wipe himself out on the side of a lamppost.
1: Well, yeah, I, I think he just was paying attention to the, Snow and not thinking about what could be inside
0: the snow, which is something you got to worry about in New York City. Because Oh my god, all kinds of stuff could be inside the snow. But, you know, do you think it is at all sort of like you're going from obsessing about your girlfriend to just playing in the snow and not even looking for her? Yeah, I mean, I think he's still sort of heading in her general direction.
1: Uh, but, you know, he does have sort of a low attention span um, yeah. in general. So, uh, meanwhile, we get a really gorgeous shot. I have to say, the animation was particularly on point this episode mm-hmm. of Rusty and Hank flying above the clouds out of the storm. Uh, and I love the windshield wiper, <laughs> this tiny little windshield wiper on their uh, on their windshield. Um, you had something to say about the sound.
0: Oh, yeah. I. It was really watching this airplane, se- the Quinjet sequence, that I began to be aware of how many sound cues there are this episode... Um, And that there's a lot of musical score going on underneath the whole episode. And it really makes this, it makes the whole thing a lot richer. It feels a lot more cinematic to have this much of a musical score happening. Um, And it goes everywhere from horror movie references to action movie references in terms of the sound. um, And sort of like a space above and beyond kind of a sound as well. They have a lot of composition happening in this one.
1: Yeah, so inside um, the... uh... Quinjet, whatever. Um, uh, Billy is stripping off his clothes because the thermal regulator is overactive, uh, and he explains uh, what is how the, the weather machine is working, uh, which is a whole bunch of super science uh, hocus pocus. Basically, they're pumping hot air up and cold air down uh, and mixing it with uh, various things, and hence we get the purple haze. And, of course, we go with the uh, instant uh, Jimi Hendrix jokes.
0: Yeah, he's, you know, his doctor venture is like, oh, is the other side the wind cries Mary, And then he complains when Billy doesn't get the reference and it's like, oh, White would have gotten it, which is true, White would have gotten it. It's not his genre, but it's pretty basic Hendrix, pretty entry-level.
1: And, you know, he is a deep former DJ, so, you know, yeah. I'm sure
0: he got requests.
1: Um, so they have to take evasive action to avoid a soda can, and then we cut to...
0: The Creeps Island, which I have to say, I predicted this from the second I saw them on Dr. Z's Junk, but um, the Creeps Island is the real Bannerman Island, which is up the Hudson River. You can take a uh, metro north to get up there. It's kind of on your way over to Beacon, and it's open for tours. It's an actual island that it's a, there's an island in the middle of the Hudson up there, a Hudson Valley, uh, and on it, there's a little castle that was built by like a Scottish-born um, military-industrial complex uh, arms dealer guy of like, I believe, the Civil Post-Civil War era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they you, you were stealing, uh, they were storing munitions in this like armory shaped like a castle. And then, of course, at some point, the munitions went off, and the castle took a lot of damage. Um, so it's a really bizarre historical site. Uh, Sometimes you can see it in the Visit New York Tourism ads on TV, but I I definitely recommend visiting it when the weather's nice. It's really gorgeous. It's, again, called Bannerman Island. They really have been rocking the sort of uh, lesser-known islands of New
1: York uh, when it comes to the Guild and sort of associated entities.
0: Very true. Very true. And when, the, when when monarch and gary get on land the monarch is complaining that their loud scuba gear colors are going to get them caught and he says that they look like extras from the cult of personality music video and i just had to laugh that's um the the band living color uh from their hit 1988 song cult of personality um and that's of course the band living color not in living color the tv show but the band living color and they're a really important rock band uh, I know that the folks from Afropunk cited them as a huge influence on the festival, and they definitely are a band that had a great quantity of neon happening right and guitar uh, solos,
1: yeah, and they uh instantly get caught by the creep uh in so part I guess, because I guess they
0: were right, <laughs> yeah,
1: uh in part because they were too busy arguing about
0: the colors of their outfits, actually no, 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 no the they wallet. were arguing the wallet that 's right. Gary is hurt that the Monarch isn't using the Paul Smith leather wallet he bought him as a gift. And I have to say, I really like Paul Smith leather goods myself. They're very colorful.
1: Okay, so that fits with the whole neon thing. It does. Um,
0: So, you know,
1: and I love the fact that it goes, uh, like, most dangerous game instantly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, just, it's like, oh, of course, it's got to go this way. Yeah. Now, here's where I got actually wrong footed for a moment uh, this episode, which is that the monarch recognized the butter glider. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have a mysterious figure wearing, uh, using a trident. And I was really convinced that uh, this was uh, St. Cloud, because we had clouds from the weather machine. And, like, St. Cloud's whole thing is like buying merch uh, and collectibles and vintage stuff. So he's like, oh, somehow he got his hands on the butter glider. Um mm-hmm. so uh meanwhile in the uh other uh C plot, I guess, technically, um <laughs> Hank gets found by Scare Bear, which is a really creepy image. Um and I'm this is where I think they start to get a little bit of the shining reference, because there's also mm-hmm. a guy in a bear costume.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think the shining reference for sure. Uh, and I, but I couldn't, I didn't, when I saw Scare Bear, I recognized it as being a reference to something that I had seen a cartoon before, but I didn't remember Scare Bear as a character. And I began to think it might have been a meta joke from Adult Swim because there have been a lot of weird bears in Adult Swim shows that just sort of show up and like don't talk like a human. Like in Harvey Birdman, which is actually going to have a special uh, next week. I'm really excited about. I know, Harvey Birdman, Attorney General at Law. Yeah, Um, so uh, the Scare Bear is from uh,
1: the Revenge Society uh, mm -hmm. arc. um, um, Bright Lights, Big City, where Dean's working as an intern for Mr. Impossible. And he just sort of shows up when the Revenge Society is doing tryouts and just doesn't talk and has a knife. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he's That's just like amazing yeah he's just super
0: spooky just by standing completely still um but like i just think there's a lot of bears like i just want to talk about bears for another second like i think that there's you know what actually there's a better moment later i'll just talk about the bears okay. then but yeah i definitely thought it was a, a reference to other adult swim cartoons so, uh,
1: Rusty, uh, com- meanwhile, comes up with a plan where they're going to stop the weather machine by dropping the thermal regulator suppository into it. Um, Rusty,
0: yeah, Rusty is just really gross to Billy this whole episode. He he just basically wants to use his- Billy's body for science and demean him simultaneously.
1: Right, which means that Billy has to basically put on uh, one of those anti-gravity belts and go out and shit in public which he has a bit of an issue with um meanwhile uh gary and the monarch uh get sort of managed to pass through the bubble into the um you know outside of the sort of the eye of the inside the eye of the storm now um and they find a whole bunch of stolen guild tech which is an opportunity to like go through some of the weirdest back catalog like gimmicks and weird inventions including one of my favorites grover cleveland's presidential time machine Mm -hmm. uh last scene from the episode uh are you there god it's me dean uh where dean has uh trouble with uh testicular torsion
0: um and we finally get a good look at the creep you know he kind of reminds me of a few different villains so obviously the name is kind of like the dc villain well i'm not really villain more like anti-hero the creeper in the sense that he's kind of made out of spare parts and other costumes and he has a very manic energy that way i love you steve ditko but he also looks like both deathstroke the terminator from new teen titans because he's got like that tiny ponytail up brushed back and the huge sort of buccaneer boot look um and the, you know, the trunks, even though Deathstroke doesn't wear fur trunks. He, he, I kind of, it, it has a similar sort of um, design on the costume. But then the face mask is like Deadshot uh, with the eye, the, um, the mechanical focusing lens over the eye. So, I don't know, various ambiguous DC bad yeah, guys. Yeah, this is,
1: this is why I, I went with Marvel and I thought about Combo Man. Uh, one of the worst <laughs> concepts ever dreamt up by Marvel, who is just literally a uh, horizontal cross sections of all of Marvel's characters for a cross-promotion that they did with uh, combos, the uh, pretzel snack.
0: Now I really want them.
1: <laughs> combos are great. The comic was awful. Um, yeah. Anyway, so my favorite bit of the episode is it turns out that the most dangerous game is not being hunted uh by uh, a dude with a
0: rifle it's playing lawn darts which is probably true are, are folks familiar with the lawn darts lawsuit um lawn darts were a real toy and they were like a weighted giant like javelin that you would throw in a lawn into a target and not surprisingly somebody died a kid died and his dad sued the company and lawn darts were taken off the market Um, And this is a story that is definitely true, I checked on Snopes, it's often brought up as an example of how the lawn darts manufacturer, and again, lawn darts are dangerous as hell, but like there was one death from lawn darts, and because they don't have a big lobbyist, their product goes off the market, meanwhile weapons, like guns, kill everybody constantly and are still available for sale.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely of the sort of the era of Hammer and Public's childhood, too. Totally. Sort of, you know, 70s, you know, underregulated consumer products era. Um, so Billy comes back, and, you know, of course Gary is game because he's sort of game for any kind of nerdy, geeky, you know, throwback thing. Uh, Billy comes back into the plane uh, dyed purple because the weather machine is using silver nitrate and here's where i have to explain the nonsense that is chelation (laughs) so uh this is a kind of pseudo medical trend uh you often see it on sort of conspiratorial libertarian fringes of people that you know um you know it's sort of the the sort of doomsday prepper equivalent of uh, going on juice cleanses where you cleanse the toxins out of your body by drinking uh, silver nitrate. Ah. It's supposed to um, filter all the bad stuff out of your body uh, because uh, apparently they never learned what the kidneys and the liver do.
0: And um, it doesn't turn you into a particular tone of film stock? Uh, what it does is it turns your skin purple.
1: Ah. Uh, so there are a lot of people going around uh, who have tried to like cure themselves of various diseases Uh, by uh, turning themselves purple and then they all claim it's a conspiracy uh, and then they usually die of whatever their original condition was. Um, Which is why, you know, medical science, yay. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we then find out that the soda can was thrown by uh, Agent S-464 who is standing on
0: the roof holding up a cardboard sign. You know, because I sort of associate him with being lovesick in general, it reminded me of the whole, like, say anything with, like, the boombox held up in the air, but I don't know. Well, my,
1: you know, it's interesting we went in different ways because, like, because he's standing on the roof, albeit of a giant weather machine, and, like, pointing a sign up at a uh, a plane, I went with, like, the, the sort of SOS signs that you saw. Um, you know, in various hurricanes like Katrina and so forth. Um, yeah. And, uh, we then learn that, uh, the creep is formerly mission creep of the OSI. Of course. uh, Who left the OSI when a mission went wrong and he ended up killing an entire Boy Scout troop. Uh, because apparently he got confused by their uniforms. Yikes. So uh we go from there to a really weird surreal scene where Scare Bear takes Hank to a gas station, uh, and even though like he's bleeding from the head, they don't get bandages, <laughs> they don't get medical help, they don't call 911, they just buy some potato chips.
0: Yeah, he, he needed low blood sugar or salt, maybe. I, I when he turns around from the counter and you see like the really gross stained bear suit it's so serial killer like what a wonderfully deranged touch that the bear yeah, suit has stains it kind of reminds
1: me a little bit of like five nights at freddy's that sort of
0: that's the name of an indie video game series that was kind of like a extra evil version of chucky e. cheese
1: like you know it's it's a kid's thing but it's like dirty and gross and therefore it's wrong hmm uh, so, we then find out that uh, S-464 is the one who's actually responsible for the whole weather incident, uh, because he's trying to stalk his now ex, uh, Kimberly McManus, and we learn that Rusty is apparently stalking Novia, uh, and Billy is the only one who calls this out, uh, although uh, S-646 at least, you know, recognizes that there's some dif- moral difference between, uh, you know, catfishing someone on social media and, uh, you know, causing a major weather incident.
0: You know, and, and, and that causing a major weather incident is not as bad as that really bad version of stalking. <laughs> but you know, with this with Billy calling them out, like, I, I think Billy is the only adult in the show who's really a good person. I mean, the order of the triad aren't bad people, but I think Billy is the only one who's actively a good person.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's certainly one of the most sort of altruistic idealistic people on the show. Um, That's why I
0: fear for him. (laughs) So,
1: well, we're about to learn that he might uh, be okay for a while because uh, the Monarch and Gary are still playing lawn darts uh, when a different Rusty and Billy come out of the time machine Uh, and we know that this is clearly later in the timeline because Rusty, or at least from a different timeline, uh, Rusty calls the Monarch Malcolm which weirds out the monarch, and um, Billy's got a giant beard. And Mm -hmm. in the confusion, the creep forgets to move and ends up lawn-darting himself in the
0: head. It was a striking sequence right then. Yeah. yeah, Real gross. um, I think, like, Billy is dressed sort of like a Confederate soldier. Yeah, it's definitely
1: Civil War. Uh, It can be a little bit confusing as to who's on which side, because sometimes... um, the confederates had blue uniforms as well as gray uniforms which is mm-hmm. part of the reason why they ended up shooting at themselves more than once um mm-hmm. but it's definitely sort of adjacent
0: um and and rusty's got like an hms uh titanic was it titanic yeah titanic yeah yeah like I i I'm, I'm dying to know where these little pieces come in from and that they go right back into the grover cleveland time machine to, <laughs> to figure out what's next
1: yeah um and you know, continuing their trend, the you know the dream team, as Gary and the Monarch have decided to call themselves, agreed to just like be quiet about how the hit actually went down and just take the credit, mm-hmm. uh, which
0: has kind of been their mo for a while now. Yeah. Um, and Scare Bear takes Hank to Dean's dorm room and it's an amazing sequence. like the carpet itself looks creepy because you're seeing it's like a first person POV almost like a giallo. Italian horror movie mm-hmm. with like the black gloves are in the frame, except in this case, it's like the bare arms with, um, Hank, with De- uh, with Hank's semi-conscious body in them.
1: Yeah. I actually get the, the carpet reminded me of the shining, that sort of hotel mm-hmm. carpet texture pattern. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The tessellated pattern. And then there's really good horror movie string section coming in quietly in the background. I, I, I really think that like the bear is a symbol, for how feelings are too big to control. Like I mentioned Hmm. that earlier in terms of the elephant and the rider metaphor. Um, But I've really seen a lot of art that has used bears as a symbol for that. Um, Hmm. And I think that that's in line with it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was kind of thinking he's a little bit of a spirit guide. Like mm -hmm. his, his purpose in this episode, what he actually does. I mean, even though he's carrying like this giant fuck off knife (laughs) is like he protects Hank and like guides him towards an important although painful revelation Uh, because it turns out that uh, Dean and Serena are uh, naked under the covers and this leads to an extended this isn't what you think it is riff.
0: And it's like no I'm pretty sure you guys are fucking Um, which I, I, I think like as soon as I saw the direction of where they were headed and it being in the dorms i knew that's what it was going to be yeah and god what a brilliant move i mean you've had these whole brother against brother themes throughout the season and, and then in this one they're really building to there being another conflict between brothers
1: yeah and we've kind of been talking about this for a couple episodes that just like dean has more in common with serena they're both going to college and they're in Mm -hmm. the same classes and like hank isn't really doing anything with his life uh and you know besides like wanting to bone her doesn't really have all that much in common with serena um
0: yeah so yeah i think it's kind of inevitable it was and i i i just think that this whole sequence was really well scripted between those characters yeah Um, um they think they really nailed it and I also want to shout out to the posters on his wall that include that like love not bombs you know the one with the bomb and the whale that was in his professor's wall and then he has another poster that says love is a chemical reaction and that again is like brings me back to the theme of the episode like love is a chemical reaction i mean how much control do they have over their feelings towards each other in this way and how much are they just having to are they just controlled by instinct with each other
1: yeah Um, and then you know Hank passes out uh, due to blood loss and concussion Um, and there's an amazing moment where he's where he's
0: like oh you see the bear too, thank God." yeah Uh, (laughs) Uh, which I think leaves
1: ambiguous whether uh, like is he gonna remember this Uh, because I could see them going like either way like either they decide to like commit to the conflict um or oh, they better that,
0: commit to the conflict
1: they better uh or it's this whole like te- you know tiptoeing around like does he remember thing uh and then we go to a uh really stunning uh post credit sequence uh where kimberly mcmanus uh gets in to see uh, S464, and finds out that they have mind-wiped him, that he does not remember nor love her.
0: Yeah, I thought that was extreme as hell. Like, I I don't know. There was a much more extreme mind-wiping than I would have experienced, expected. And, of course, Dr. Misses doesn't really lead, lead, lead with the fact that it's been that ex- radical.
1: Yeah, and I think that, like, this is kind of that whole, like, remember we're the bad guys thing that she was on a mm-hmm. while back, that, like, you know, they're kind of pissed off at OSI like in in you know, an ex-OSI guy stole a guild invention and then the guild had to clean it up. And, you know, they haven't exactly been happy with the way that like their interactions with the OSI have gone. So it's like this is a very personal fuck you.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about that climactic scene though with the, in the dorm room again. Like Sure. I mean, the whole that whole sequence is really set up like a horror reveal right yeah um and you have him sort of entering the bedroom in a very like coitus interruptus thing i i think it's like the uh i don't know it's it could be quite freudian um there's a question of like seeing your double um
1: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's also there. I th- I think there's a little bit of similarity to, um, again, The Shining, the bit where they, um, uh, Jack opens like a random door and he sees like two ghosts fucking basically. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So it's just sort of like you're you're suddenly confronted with something that you're don't want and not I'm not ready for.
0: I want to I want to dig to like do a little bit more of my. So, like, Freud is bullshit in reality, but Freud is very consistently referenced in art. Uh, and I do feel like I want to put my head into a little bit of Freudian analysis for for the way this whole scene is done. I mean, there's just so much there to it with the bear representing, you know, is it, like, the id that's steering him to see what he doesn't want to... Tr- the truth that he doesn't want to have revealed? Hmm. Or maybe the bear is his ego, which is carrying him to show him the reality of his situation in which his brother is portraying him this way. You know, the the ego that is physically steering him and interfacing with reality between his semi-conscious mind, since he's kind of literally semi-conscious, and uh, the world as it exists. I could kind of go either way on this one. Um, is this the, the, the Doppelganger of the South? Uh, yeah, that... I was
1: going to say, this sounds more Jungian than Jungian. Ploian. Yeah,
0: yeah. By Doppelganger, I mean that uh, Hank is experiencing his brother as his Doppelganger in this moment, which uh, is sometimes thought of as like your evil twin. Um, and in this case, he's having the... Seeing your doppelganger is generally characterized as being an an out-of-body experience. Uh, So he's seeing his brother who is his double Doing the thing that he wishes he was doing which is having sex with his girlfriend Um, And he's experiencing it in a really sort of of out-of-body way and I think part of the reason why his uh, response to it is adult is you know, yeah, he's experiencing brain trauma, but he's also really unclear on what he's seeing because of the connection between the two of them as brothers and I think that there's an interesting uh, Jungian connection with that um, um, which I guess also falls into the category of I don't think this is sound psychology but it is definitely all over art
1: yeah um, so um, unfortunately I gotta wrap this up okay uh, so shall we try uh, one more
0: time to, to get it right yeah uh, yes and also just, uh, yes let's do it let's do it okay one, one two, two three, three. Go, go team, team venture, venture podcast. podcast I that's Damn the best we, no I, I think
1: that was close alright that's, right. like, that's that's pretty good that's pretty good still